Do you think God can use you? Are you sensing maybe a need to be part of something bigger, something great? Welcome to Through the Bible. Today in our study of Ezra, Dr. J. Vernon McGee is really clear that every Christian has a responsibility to get involved in God's work around the world. And that's why we're so grateful for those of you who support and pray for this fruitful ministry. You want to know how God's blessing your investment in his word around the world? Well, Greg and I are here to tell you a little bit about it. And we are excited, Steve. We're going to try to share. We have so many things on our hearts and minds, but this is a trip we both made to Uganda. Hmm. Um, what a, what a country of contrasts uh, and, you know, not a lot of economic infrastructure. And yet as we we're driving down the road in these pretty poverty stricken areas, we'd see satellite TV dishes. Yeah. Uh, we would see people with cell phones. Yep. Um, we got different levels of, of coverage. And so we were just so excited to meet with three language groups, the Luganda for yep. Uganda, the Runyakatara for Western Uganda, and then the other one was? It was Juba Arabic. Yes, for South Sudan. Yes. And this this is a very uh, repeatable pattern. We started with Luganda and the people loved Dr. McGee's teaching so much that they said, we need to share this with these other language groups. Yeah. And then they actually went out and trained and found the people. Yep. And it, it was amazing to meet these Dr. McGee's in these three different languages. Yeah. What a team they put together as well. And just the way the Lord moves in people's lives. I just think of uh, yeah. two, two people in particular, Charity in the Run You Qatar program yes, yeah. was affiliated primarily with the local radio station that they were going to be uh, you know sending the program out on and she got so excited about the program she became the the admin back-end reporting person yes. uh, for the Runya Katara language yes. and she is being so blessed by it and the same thing then happens in, in, in South, South Sudan, Sudan yeah. with Juba Arabic with Joel, Joel the station yeah. manager and he travels all the way to to Mbali to meet with us because he's so excited about what what the program's doing in South Sudan. Yeah, and if you're a new uh, listener to Through the Bible, there's something you need to understand, which is that that this is a movement of God. We are not running a huge organization. We still have less than 10 full-time staff here at Through the Bible. You're the chairman of the board. You're a volunteer. Yep. And uh, we, we have people around the world that just love Through the Bible like like charity and like Joel, God just moves in their hearts and they want to be part of this movement of God to get his word to the whole world. Yeah. And they really help us to be better at what we do and providing resources for them because they've so embraced the ministry. And, and we're going to be making some changes about, about the way we help those different languages yes. be successful, uh, providing resources for them as they reach out on social media in their language. Why do they have to reinvent the wheel again? We're doing some of that stuff in English. Yeah. Let's give it to them as a template for them to go forward in their own language in their own platform that makes sense for them and that you've just articulated one of the important reasons why do we go out on these trips it's actually it's not easy it, t- it took us many many hours to get there and to get home but it is so worth it because we get ideas we also get to encourage the people on the field. So we represented you. That is our North American listening family. Yeah. You, you and I both preached in churches. We both had a chance to speak at a pastor's gathering. And Steve, I know we don't have lots of time, but I just feel like we have to go back and talk about the impact of Through the Bible in all three of these languages on pastors. Yeah, that is just, I think, the greatest impact that we're seeing because so many pastors here, it's it's few and far between the pastor in, at least in the area of Uganda that we were at, 
that had an opportunity to go to seminary. Oh, yeah. No. So their understanding of scripture is limited by what they're able to read and what they're able to hear. And typically in those churches, a lot of times, and we heard this from two different African yes, pastors. We did. I've heard this phrase given by missionaries and I thought, well, okay, maybe that's a missionary thing, but it is the pastor saying it about themselves. And that is Africa's faith in Christianity is a mile wide and an inch deep. Yes. Yeah. And, and and they kept saying through the Bible's helping fix that. Yeah. And we are getting, they're using it as a template for their own sermons. Yep. Their people are listening to the program and challenging them <laughs> to be good on their sermons and, and testing what they're saying, just like the Bereans were testing what Paul said. It's yeah. just such an encouragement. And pretty much everywhere we went, they had to quell the number of people that wanted to give testimonies yeah. and, or they had to say, now keep it short. Okay, yeah. we don't have that much time. Yeah, or only if you came from <laughs> yeah. far away can yeah. you give a yeah. testimony. And people were just lining up and giving the testimonies of how through the Bible has had such an impact on the lives of people. Yeah, and I, I think one of my sort of final uh, conclusions as I think about the trip was just how much the, the team there has internalized the vision of through the Bible. It And one thing they said, they stood up in front of those pastors and they said, this is not a foreign program. This is our program. Yeah. Yeah, such an encouragement to yeah. see how they continue to do that. I'm looking forward to the way they're going to go beyond those three languages yes. because they had already talked to us about some other plans yep. that they have, and <laughs> hopefully we're going to be able to help them do that, um, and we're going to see even more fruit in Africa. Yeah, Steve, those are such important uh, points that you're making, and it's because they caught the vision yep. that they now want to get into new languages. We don't have to encourage that. Yeah. Um, and we hope you're on our mailing list and that you get our newsletter because yes. we've got a little photo album that we've put in there that will give you an, even more of a taste for what God is doing in Uganda. Yeah. Greg, why don't you pray for us as we begin? Father, our hearts are full. Uh, we just rejoice to see your word impacting pastors and uh, men and women and children and just the, the, the power of your word and the vision to, to reach the whole world with the whole word. We thank you that your spirit is doing such great work in Uganda and all around the world. And we look forward to seeing you continue to do that in Jesus name. Amen. Now here's Dr. J. Vernon McGee with more in Ezra chapters one and two on through the Bible. Now, friends, we return today back to the book of Ezra, and I'm sure that you will discover that there is a message here for all of us. Now, we have here in the first six chapters of Ezra the return from Babylon that was led by Zerubbabel. And here in chapter 1, we have the restoration of the temple by the decree of Cyrus. That is, he made a decree for the restoration of the temple. Now, I'm going to begin reading uh, verse 3, and this is part of the decree of Cyrus. Probably I should drop back to verse 2 and tie the strings together. Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judea. And the thing we called attention to last time is that here in this book, he's called the God of heaven. And that is also true in Nehemiah, and it's true in the book of Daniel. He is the God of heaven. This is the name by which he's largely known in the series of books that we have indicated. It was a title he took when his throne was removed from the earth. And he gave his people 
into the hands of the Gentiles and sent them into Babylonian captivity. And as Hosea put it, he returned to his place back yonder into heaven. He forsook the temple at Jerusalem. He dissolved the theocracy and he became the God of heaven. And he's still that to his ancient people. And he'll remain that he returns to Jerusalem to establish his throne again as the Lord of the whole earth. And Jerusalem will then be the city of the great king. Now, you'll notice that this man, Cyrus, here, he puts it down in a very definite way. He says that he hath charged me. And actually, the word charge here means commanded me. He says, the God of heaven hath commanded me. This man Cyrus, through the ministry of Daniel, apparently came to a knowledge of the living and true God. Now, verse 3, who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel, for he is the God which is in Jerusalem." And you'll notice that God had commanded him to do this, but he did not command the people to go up. They were granted permission to go up. And he says in verse 4, And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the man of his place help him with silver and with gold and with goods and with beasts beside the freewill offering for the house of the God that is in Jerusalem. Now, there is permission granted to the people to return. And those that did not return, they were to make an offering of gold and silver and other things of value that would assist those returning to go up to Jerusalem to execute this command to build there, uh, rebuild the temple. Now, verse 5. Then rose up the chief of the fathers of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites with all them whose spirit God had raised to go up to build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. And all they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, with beasts, with precious things beside all that was willingly offered. Now, there was actually, as we've indicated before, a very small percentage of the people who went up. And I don't want to sit in judgment on them because of the fact they may have had, some of them, a very good excuse for not going up. But apparently, it was God's will for them to go up. And some did not choose to go. They had settled down in Babylon I am of the opinion many of them were there on their lees, enjoying the comforts and the affluent society of Babylon. Many of them had become prosperous, and so they chose not to go up. They at least felt like it was not God's will or the time for them to go up. And it's not, therefore, for me to say that these people are out of the will of God. I do know that later on, the very interesting thing is when we get to the book of Esther, we'll see the story of those who remained in the land. And it's not a very pretty story. Actually, they definitely were out of the will of God. But there's one thing that could be said here. 
there was apparently no spirit of enmity or a judgment between the two groups, those who returned and those who did not. Those that remained, they helped their brethren who went up. We are told here in verse 6, And all they that were about them strengthened their hands with vessels of silver, with gold, with goods, and with beasts. Things that they needed, you see. And this is quite interesting to me. I do not feel that everyone is called today to go as a missionary. I'm confident I was never called to go to leave my land and to go to a foreign people. And I can be very frank and tell you why God didn't call me to go. I said to a friend of mine when we were visiting the mission field down in Mexico, and I said it again in South America when I was down there, I said, I can very easily see why God did not call me And I do not mean to be crude, but I said, my problem is I don't think I've got enough intestinal fortitude. I don't think I could have stayed down here. I don't think I could have faced the slow moving of everything. I like to see action, and you don't see that on the mission field. Things move slowly, and God has some wonderful people on the mission field. Now, because God didn't call me and he didn't call you, that doesn't mean we're not to support. You see, today we should support these that go to the mission field, those that are doing a good job. And we should be back of them with our prayers and our encouragement and our support. And we also, I think, should remember those that are on the front, that are giving out the Word of God. I make no apology for it. I feel like that today I have a right to ask Paul said he had a right to ask. You remember what he did in 1 Corinthians? He didn't hesitate to mention the fact since he was giving out the Word of God. And so the thing is today that God has called us to be partners in this tremendous enterprise, getting the Word of God out. And they tell me that in warfare, I think I've heard these figures, that for every soldier that's out on the fighting front, there has to be ten that are back of him, getting supplies to him, getting the food to him and the clothes to him and the medical care to him and also the ammunition that he needs. And so that, I think, is true in God's army today. Now, the people that did not return, they felt a responsibility. And so they became partners with their brethren that did return. And the group that returned very candidly were of the poor class, the Levites. They were the humble folk. But you remember, we're told the meek will he guide in judgment. The meek will he teach his way. And those were the ones who had the understanding of the times. And they went back to the land. Let me continue to read here. Also Cyrus the king brought forth the vessels of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had brought forth out of Jerusalem, and had put them in the house of his gods. How did Cyrus get them? Well, there was a general before Cyrus. His name was Gubrias. He took Babylon one night when they were having a banquet, and they had brought out these vessels they had taken out of the house of God, and it was Belshazzar's feast, and he captured them all that night. They'd been put away, and the Persian kings possessed them. They were in Cyrus's hands. And God saw to this, and now these vessels, holy vessels, that is, they're for the use of God, are put back in the hands of the priests and Levites that are returning 
to the land. And we're told in verse 8, even those did Cyrus, king of Persia, bring forth by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and numbered them unto Sheshbazzar, the prince of Judah. And this is the number of them. And here it is. There's no use me reading it. It's practically meaningless to me other than this. Tremendous wealth is involved here. We are told in verse 11, all the vessels of gold and of silver were 5,000. 400. All these did Sheshbazzar bring up with them of the captivity that were brought up from Babylon unto Jerusalem. Now, these were sent back now to Jerusalem. And now we come to chapter 2, and as we do, we see the return now under Zerubbabel. And will you notice this? Now, these are the children of the province that went up out of the captivity of those which had been carried away, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away into Babylon. And we find here the list that is given, and it's quite a list, by the way, and I'll relieve you right here at the beginning. I haven't any notion of reading all of this list. But I would like for you to notice the remainder of this verse and verse 2. These were the ones, we're told, that came again unto Jerusalem and Judah, every one unto his city, which came with Zerubbabel, Jeshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Reliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizpar, Bigvi, Rehum, Baanah, the number of the men of the people of Israel. Now the list is given here. And I'm not about to attempt to read that. That would be a real exercise in pronunciation. Hebrew names were difficult enough to pronounce until the captivity. And then at the time of the captivity, they really became difficult because you have the inclusion, of course, of that which was the Persian Babylonian language. Now we had mentioned here a Nehemiah and a Mordecai. And I would like to say the Nehemiah is not the one who wrote the book that's coming up next, because that Nehemiah who wrote the book did not return at the beginning. He came up later, but not to stay, rather to execute a very important matter, and that was to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And then the Mordecai that's mentioned here is not the one that we come to in the book of Esther. And therefore, we just pass all over this. Now, as you go down through this list, there are very interesting things that come to us. In fact, the matter is, I think, profitably you could spend time here, and it would be very valuable to us. For instance, you have here in verse 23, the men of Anathoth, 120 and 8 return. There's quite a group of them that went back. Well, what about Anathoth? Well, this is a little town there. I've seen it. It's where Jeremiah purchased a field. It was his town. And you'll remember in his day, they were right on the verge of being carried away in the captivity. Now, I wouldn't call this a good investment in real estate, would you? They're getting ready to be carried away in captivity, and another people will take over. You could go bankrupt at that. And what assurance do you have of the future? Today... There's a great deal of real estate advertised, and they even say buy it for an investment. has a wonderful future. Well, Jeremiah bought this 
But it didn't look like it had a great future, but it did. And that's the reason God told him to buy it. He says, because they're going to come back. And so the men of Anathoth, they had a deed, a sealed deed, a lawful claim to that land because Jeremiah had bought it, given it to them. Now, it was absolute folly in Jeremiah's day to all outward appearances, and I'm sure the real estate board of that day would advise you not to buy it, but he did. And you can read that story in Jeremiah 32. We'll come to it, of course, later on. So that's very interesting to read here about the men of Anathoth. They're going back to claim their possession, you see. And what a wonderful thing this is. There's so many beautiful spiritual lessons that are here for us today. Not only can we be partners, you see, in this enterprise. Some are called to go back and rebuild the temple. Some are called to give out the Word of God. Some are called to go as missionaries. But that doesn't relieve other believers. They have a responsibility also. And then here is something that's quite wonderful also. Someday we are to be rewarded, we're told, that every man's work will be inspected with that in mind. The Lord Jesus will all appear before the judgment seat, the bema of Christ. Paul told the Corinthians that. And in Corinth, I stood. I have pictures that others made of me standing on the bema. Well, nobody judged me then. I never received a reward then, I can assure you. And I didn't get any blame either. But one of these days, I'm going to stand before his judgment seat. And very candidly, friends, I don't want him to blame me. I don't want him to say that everything you did was wood, hay, and stubble. It's gone up in smoke. I want to be a little gold there. And that makes it a very wonderful thing. Now, as you move on down in this chapter, there are other things very candidly there are some things that are very distressing. And in verse 62, for instance, here, well, let me drop down and read verse 41. The singers, the children of Asaph, 120 and 8. Now, actually, there were 128 singers that went back. You see, the spirit of praise was in their hearts and in their lives. So they had to have a lot of singing. Candidly, there were more of them back than there were of the Levites. Now we come down here to verse 62. Probably ought to read verse 61. It says, And of the children of the priests, the children of Abiah, the children of Koz, the children of Barzilla, which took a wife of the daughters of Barzilla and the Gileadite, and was called after their name, these sought their register among those that were reckoned by genealogy but they were not found. Therefore were they as polluted, put from the priesthood. Now they had to declare their pedigree, you see. They had to declare who they were. You remember the children of Israel when they left Egypt? We have them all arranged according to their tribes, to their families, and every man had to declare his pedigree. If a man came up and said, well, you know, I think I'm a son of so-and-so, and I think that so-and-so is my mother, and I hope that that's true, and I'm going to work at this thing pretty hard and do the best I can, and maybe I will be. May I say that at the very beginning, they were put out of any 
place in the nation Israel. You had to declare your pedigree. And if you couldn't, you were just outside. And this is something that today a child of God ought to be able to know that he's a son of God. I know whom I have believed, Paul said. Declare your pedigree. Now, verse 64, the whole congregation together was 42,303 score. Beside their servants, their maids, there were 7,337, and there were among them 200 singing men and singing women. 49,897 is the number that returned back to the land. And we find them now coming back into the land. We'll pick up the story there next time, and that'll be in chapter 3. Until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Our next study hits on a practical problem that everyone who has been involved in a ministry project has felt. How do you overcome resistance? In others and in your own heart. Well, we look forward to learning how. Until then, you can reach out to us at ttb.org or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. God bless you today as you walk with Him in His Word. Our study today was made possible through your prayer and financial support. We'll meet you back here next time. In fact, we're going to do this together, Lord willing, till Jesus comes again. In which case, we'll meet you in the air.